Thanks, guys. Thanks for um, serving us uh, today as we just uh, use our voices to worship God through, uh, through song and through music. Um, if you're here for the first time today, we are super glad you're here with us and um, really uh, privileged that you've uh, chosen to come and worship with us. If you're here and you've received a um, welcome pack, we'd love for you to just grab a welcome card of that and just give some details as well. We'd just love to say thanks uh, for coming along. So if you've got a pack or if you didn't get one, we'll make sure you will get one after the service. If you could just fill out that, uh, those card details, that would just be something where we could just come back to you and say really thanks for coming along and uh, being with us today. As, uh, as we gather to worship Jesus and to allow the gospel to work through our hearts and to grow uh, here in the greater Shepparton community. Um, yeah, just the encouragement then for Bree, um, for a Christmas service in a couple of weeks, so really make that a point, um, be praying for someone you could ask and then take some invitations from the back there and to use those uh, for that Christmas service in a couple of weeks' time. It'll be really geared um, for a, an evangelistic service in the sense of uh, ex- uh, expressing Christmas in a very clear way that uh, we can tell people about uh, the great gift that we have in Christ and it's a free gift that we receive from uh, God the Father too when he comes. So if you're thinking of somebody, uh, be praying for them and then um, take the next step and also invite them to come along. That would be terrific. Okay, um, we are in our sermon series, uh, Spiritual Warfare, from Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, if you can put that picture up now, that first one of um, Hayden, that's it there. Okay, you might recognise that photo there, very famous uh, many years ago, early 1997. Uh, Tony Bullimore was sailing solo around the world in a yacht race. He encountered this massively huge storm and monstrous seas in a remote part of the Southern Ocean, way down south, I think it was 1,500 miles south of Perth. Uh, His yacht capsized and uh, he managed to climb into an air pocket and sort of lie on this shelf. And he had about five or six days of air trapped in, the, in, this, uh, in this hull of his yacht. He put his radio onto a distress signal and then just waited on that shelf and hoped to be saved. Uh, Tony was isolated and he was cut off from the world, as it were, at that time, with nobody to help him. Solo around the world means you're on the boat on your own. Uh, he was helpless and he absolutely needed saving. Uh, praise the Lord, five days later the Australian Navy picked up the distress signal and they homed right into his yacht and uh, one of the divers got out and knocked on there and said, are you in there Tony? Or something like that. And Tony was shocked to hear a voice but then duck dived out and then came up and there he was sort of came up underneath and uh, saved uh, in those times. Uh, today we want to look at the hope of salvation as we think about uh, our spiritual warfare and the strength we receive of this hope when we come into community and not doing it solo like Tony was, but doing it in community and the hope of salvation. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll read from verses um, 10 to 20. Went past it. Okay, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness 
given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Uh, Father, thank you again that we can come and gather here this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this inspired word. We pray that you would uh, bring this word alive in our hearts today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand and then to take this word in and you would work in this word and you would uh, change us into the image of Christ and we would live this truth out today. Uh, We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple other welcomes. Welcome back to Gabby and Jared. They've been away for a month travelling around the USA. So welcome back, guys. They got back Friday and they're sort of still recovering with a bit of jet lag. So good to have them back. And also my good friend, Ross McKenzie, down the back there. Ross is a good friend of mine from many, many years ago from the Shepherd and Christian College in his early days. So welcome to you too, Ross, as you uh, join with us this morning as well. Okay, as we continue in this talk series in spiritual warfare, it's really, really important that we understand that God undertakes for us to engage in this battle, in this battle, from a position of confidence. We don't go in there sort of weak and anemic. We go into this battle in a position of confidence. Uh, This confidence springs from the hope that the Holy Spirit works in us, that we will be ultimately victorious in this fight against Satan and against all of his evil forces. We will be. You see, if we don't have that hope or if we don't take that confidence in, we may simply say, what's the use? May as well give up now if we don't have that confidence that God wants us to have through the Holy Spirit and through his word. That's so true, isn't it, if we don't have that hope and confidence. If you're in a struggle of some sort and it appears hopeless, it appears like there's just no way out of this, It drains you of all confidence, if that's how you approach it. When the doctor comes in and says, there's nothing else we can do now, we've used all the available treatments, we'll just keep you comfortable to the end. It's not a real hope-filled sort of diagnosis to get that, is it? It sort of drains you of all hope and confidence. Or when the finance company rings and says, unless we get those final six payments that you are in arrears of by next Wednesday... We will have to close your account and seize your property. Again, if you hear that, which nobody hope ever does hear that, it drains all of your hope and your confidence. But we want to approach this with hope and confidence that God gives. The Spirit wants us to be confident. God wants us to be filled with hope as we think about spiritual warfare as we go into it. In a spiritual warfare, God, by his grace, is using these battles, as it were, these spiritual battles, to wean us off this world to grow our dependence on God and also to ultimately reshape us into the image of Jesus Christ. And in all of that, there's strong hope. There's really, really strong hope for what we may have to face as individuals in that. And though the battle is long and the battle is hard and sometimes it's very exhausting, God gives us this hope because he's already written the final chapter of our lives. God already has. He's already written the final chapter of our lives. And in Jesus Christ, the final chapter in our life 
is complete and total salvation and victory over all evil and suffering in our lives in this world. That is the final chapter. We may not be there at the final chapter yet, but we can know for sure that is the final chapter and that does give us hope. So that's where we go today as we think about Paul and the helmet of salvation. You can throw that one up too now, um, Hayden. There's a picture of a helmet coming up there. Uh, Kirk was uh, wonderfully demonstrating the shield last week, but he hasn't got a helmet, so we had to sort of do with a uh, image today. But Kirk's going to be back next week with a sword, so uh, stay tuned. But that'll be another demonstration of Kirk then coming to the fore. And happy birthday too. Kirk had his 21st last night as well, mate. Congratulations. So, look, if you go to Google, there's a whole range of helmets. That's fairly typical of a helmet uh, back in those times. It looks pretty heavy, doesn't it? You sort of imagine, you know, in the battle, you sort of, after all, you'd be sort of sinking down with this helmet on your head. But obviously it would stop the arrows and, and axes and everything else that was sort of coming to those guys back then. Pretty gruesome warfare. But that's the helmet here that Paul's uh, referring to in this uh, symbolism um, for spiritual warfare. So we kit it out for our spiritual battle. We're moving to protect our head with the helmet of salvation. So there's a couple of things we're going to look at today as we think about this helmet of salvation. First is, what does the word salvation mean here? What, do, what does Paul mean when he says the helmet of salvation? And then secondly, we're going to look at how do we grow this hope that comes out of the salvation that Jesus has completed for us. So firstly, uh, salvation, salvation hope. Paul calls this the, the helmet of salvation in verse 17. He says they're the helmet of salvation. So what does he mean here by salvation? In the context of this verse, the word salvation means God's saving action in Jesus Christ on our behalf from God's judgment towards our sin. That's what Paul's referring to here when he talks about salvation. It's God's saving action in and through Jesus Christ on our behalf uh, from his judgment towards our sin. In other words, this is the heart of the gospel. This really is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's come in our place and in his action and work to save us. We are broken people who have failed God on every front in life, every front in life, in thought, words and actions. We are tainted through and through with ignorance towards God. Jesus comes as the perfect man, the perfect person, and takes upon himself all of our sin and bears God's justice at the cross and we are then saved as we put our trust in his death towards us. We truly deserve God's justice, no questions asked. But Jesus comes down and saves us from this hopeless predicament. He substitutes himself on the cross in our place and takes that justice for us. So that now we are saved. We are saved. Or salvation has been effected on our behalf. We are now saved from God's right judgment. Our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life. In a sense, when we talk about that salvation, which is true and real and absolutely critical and central to the Christian faith, when we talk about that salvation, in a sense, it's something that has taken place in the past. It's taken place in the past. It's a fact of history that Jesus Christ was a real person, that he came to this world and he died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. It's a what we call a salvation historical fact. It's something that's taken place in the past. This one decisive act of Jesus Christ stands for all time to forgive sin. Past, present and future. All sin for all time. 
for the sin that I'll commit in the remaining days of my life. Not that I want to commit sin, but I understand there's still indwelling sin within me and I still do commit sin. Jesus' sacrifice in this salvation historical past event covers all sin, past, present and future. It's a great thing to think about, isn't it? Jesus has done it all. So it's a past event here as we think about this sense of salvation with Jesus Christ then. Salvation also has a present sense as well in our lives here and now today. Paul shows this for us in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, and by, note these next words, which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now don't get that confused there with those words, which you are being saved. Does that mean I'm not saved and I'm sort of working my way through salvation? Being, because being is like a present tense ongoing action. No, it's not that. The once for all act that Christ has done is our salvation. This present sense or this this ongoing sense of gospel salvation is that we are saved from making sinful or wrong choices or decisions that will reap trouble, grief and all sorts of various other consequences in life now. We're being saved from that as we let the gospel, as we let the work of Jesus work through us. Satan tempts me to tell a few lies at work and to get myself out of a difficult spot. There's a bit of equipment that the boss has given to me and I've actually pushed it beyond its limits and I've broken it. And the boss comes and sees me and says, do you know anything about this? No, it wasn't me. Well, sort of, that's what we want to go to, isn't it? But the gospel saves me in this present tense or present sense. I'm not going to lie because the gospels redeem me from this ignorant life. It's saving me from present actions of sinful consequences. I tell the truth. I face the music for breaking that bit of equipment, but hopefully the boss recognises my honesty and doesn't give me the sack. It's a present tense. Gospel is still saving us from making wrong and sinful choices. I see Neville and Karen there talking, and Neville said, look, it was me, Karen. I did break that mop out the back. (laughs) Salvation also has a future sense or context as well. And this is our future, final and eternal salvation. And this is a glorious day to look forward to as believers. It says this in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's amazing. That is amazing. We're not there yet, but that's the future hope of eternal salvation. It's amazing. How many tears have you and I cried over the brokenness of our life or the pain that we've experienced in this world? How many tears have we shed 
because of the brokenness in our lives or the brokenness that people have affected against us. I know myself, I've filled bottles and bottles with tears when I see my own brokenness and corruption that hurts many people at times. When I lash out when I shouldn't lash out. And it hurts people and probably puts them in tears at times. And I've been on the receiving end of myself of many challenging people that have hurt me and have brought me to tears as well. But look again at this final salvation that God has for us in the future. In this final salvation, we will dwell with God. And look what he's going to do for us there in verse 4. He says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He wipes every tear away from our eyes. All pain and suffering will be over forever. There'll be no more crying, there'll be no more grief, there'll be no more sadness. We've all experienced that, and we probably have got more sadness and grief to experience in this life. Many of us are here who either lost loved ones, I've lost both my mother and my father. But I look forward to the day in the future when I will be reunited with them. I shed lots of tears when my dad died and lots of tears when my mother died. It's a fact of this world. But in the future world, in the final and complete and total salvation, there will be no tears, there will be no pain, there will be no crying. It will all be gone. Every battle will be over. With Satan and his evil forces and with each other, it will be finished. It will be done with. There'll be no more heated discussions. There'll be no more challenging relationships. We will have been finally saved, totally saved from sin and all of its crushing consequences that we presently experience in this life. It will be done. And this is the salvation that I believe Paul firmly has in view here when he wants to build us for spiritual warfare. He wants us to have this final, total, complete salvation Salvation, I know it said salivation. Well, we should be salivating for it as well. This final, complete, total salvation in view as we think about uh, this hope that he wants to build in us. Look at, look at what Paul says in Thessalonians about this as well. Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He's wanting to build hope into our hearts and our lives. And this is the protection that Paul gives to us through the Holy Spirit. As a helmet against, in our battles against Satan, we have this unassailable hope. We have this unsinkable hope. We have this impenetrable hope. We have this hope that is guaranteed that one day it'll all be over and I'll be eternally, totally, completely, finally saved. We have the hope of glory, which is Christ in us, for this final salvation, where every battle is over, and every defeat is gone forever against Satan. This is the hope that Paul wants to build into us as we think about spiritual warfare with the helmet of salvation. It's a glorious thing. It's a totally glorious thing about this victory. And it's a victory... It's a victory in this eternal, total sense that God fights for on behalf of us. He enters into this battle and he achieves this victory for us. Paul, I'm sure, saw this in the book of Isaiah. And let's have a look at that now in Isaiah 59, where Paul, I'm absolutely guaranteed, picked this up. 
He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You think, oh, what does that verse mean? It's got a connection there to the helmet. If you go back to Isaiah and look at the bigger context, Israel has been overrun by cruel invaders at this particular time, carrying out wholesale slaughter against Israel. Israel is battling a wicked enemy who is hell-bent on crushing them and destroying them. And in this picture, just this snapshot of a verse here, we get this picture as, of God as a divine warrior. This is God here talking when he says this. He's dressed for battle to crush the enemy of Israel. He puts on, as it were, God, in a spiritual metaphor, metaphoric sense, a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. And then God enters into this battle with vengeance and zeal against the enemy to crush their powers that are coming to overrun Israel. God fights on Israel's behalf to win the battle for them. He does it on their behalf. And we see the very same thing done for us through Jesus Christ. He fights on our behalf. Jesus goes to the cross at Calvary. He defeats Satan once and for all, where we could never defeat Satan. Jesus fights a battle that we could never fight and never have any hope of achieving victory. And now we get to wear the helmet of salvation that Jesus has won for us. We don't have to go and fight that eternal battle. Jesus has done that. But we now take into this battle that hope of salvation in that helmet, spiritually speaking, upon us. The battle, the battle has been won. We are fighting what is is now like little skirmishes, little mop-up wars after the main battle. And that's where we're involved. But we take this in with eternal hope which gives us rock-solid confidence as we enter into these skirmishes and little battles. It's, sort of, it's, it's like, the, it's like the, the soldier who's able to, as it were, fly out of the trenches because he knows he's got that air support over the top of him. And, and this air support's bombarding the enemy. He can just fly out of those trenches with courage and confidence with that hope that's given to him. We too can be the same. We can enter into the battlefield of life against Satan, regardless of his bluff or his bluster, regardless of the range of whatever missiles or fiery darts he's going to throw at us, coming at us thick and fast, with that same hope and encouragement, we can run into those battles with rock-solid hope. That even, that even if one of these skirmishes or battles with Satan happens to take me out physically, that's not the end. That's not the end. It's really only then the beginning. But that's the confidence and the rock-solid hope that eternal salvation puts into us. We know what the final chapter is. We know what Jesus Christ has achieved. And that that enables me to go into every skirmish and every battle. And even if one takes me out physically, that's all right. Because then I'm eternally united with Christ forever and ever and ever. So that's what Paul wants us to see is this helmet of salvation, firmly strapped on our heads as it were, prepared to go into the battle with that perspective, with that final salvation secured in place. It's a mighty hope. Okay, growing this hope, hope growing. That's the hope that God gives us, can't be shifted from us, can't be taken away from us. But at the very same time, it's the very thing that Satan aims at in life is to destroy and crush that hope. 
That's what he wants to do. He wants to take us down by crushing that hope. He's constantly directing every assault towards us to cut down our hope, to cut down this big picture perspective of, uh, of eternal salvation so that, we, so that we will then be defeated and feeling overcome because we've lost hope. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've sort of majored relatively hard on how Satan works. We sort of spent a fair bit of time the last week thinking about how he works through conversations and, and thoughts and whatnot. And it's important to see that. We really need to be aware of the strategies and the schemes of Satan. But this time, today, I want to think more on how I grow this hope, how I grow this hope, and still be aware of the schemes of how Satan works in that. So how do we grow then this salvation hope? If hope is being attacked and Satan is trying to kill it, because that's what he's trying to do, how do I grow it? How do I nurture it and strengthen it? Because surely if I can keep this salvation hope growing, if I can keep it vibrant and healthy and growing, it will do me well in spiritual warfare. It will keep my helmet in good condition. Three things we're going to cover over the next few weeks as we think about this, which will round out our series here of spiritual warfare. Each of these things that we're going to cover, which will be um, growing hope and, and things like that, will be critical Will be critical to every person who's a believer and vital in keeping you breathing, as it were, and surviving and alive through the battle as we look at these three things. Each of these things will help us to grow strong hope and enable us to stand strong as well. And each of these things is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in partnership with us to grow, to see us strong in our lives, overcoming these battles we face. And these things are community or fellowship in Christ with each other. It is also the Spirit-inspired Scriptures, the Bible we read from today. And thirdly, we're going to wrap up with prayer. So community and fellowship in Christ with each other, the Bible, Scriptures, and then thirdly, prayer. So today we're going to look at community in growing this hope, this eternal salvation hope. Friends, we've got to believe that community really does serve to grow hope. We've got to firmly believe that in our hearts and our minds, that community grows hope. We've got to believe that God has ordained or put together that as we commit to and fellowship together in community, that he grows salvation hope amongst us. As we gather together in community, God has ordained that this hope grows within us. Let's have a look at that first in a corporate gathering sense. Thinking about the early church and how they gathered together in community. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, uh, 42, and Hayden can bring that up for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Take note of that word there, fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were... Together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day by those who were being saved." Bit of a summary verse that uh, Luke writes for us in Acts chapter 2. But it's a great summary, isn't it, when you think about that? Get a snapshot of the early life of the church here. Uh, the early church did not have a red carpet ride. They didn't have it as easy as we've got it today. The early church had really difficult times, challenging times initially. 
being followers of Jesus in those early days wasn't easy. And we can be really sure, actually I can be 100% confident in saying this, Satan was working overtime to kill off the church while it was relatively small. They would have been under pretty severe spiritual attack. He knows there's only a a certain number of um, disciples of Jesus. He'd be working hard to crush them as quickly as he possibly. He didn't want that church to grow at all. They were a small group of people at that time choosing a different way of life in comparison to the culture that was around about them. It would have been hard. It would have been difficult. So what do they do in those early times? Well, we see it right there. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowshipping together. Committed to community. Committed to being together. They were together and had all things in common. There was a commonality amongst them in this togetherness. And it says later in that part of that passage, they attended the temple together. You get a very distinct feeling here of community right through this summary passage. They're doing life together. It doesn't say they're living 24-7 together, but obviously there's many, many times they are together as a community of believers. And what's the result? As we see this togetherness here in the community, we see there towards the end of that passage, they had glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and the Lord added to their number day by day. Their hope of salvation was being fueled, energised as they got together, as they fellowshiped, as they devoted themselves to fellowship and committed to uh, community. And they grew strong in this community as believers coming together. The gathered church in community, we see a picture there in Acts, uh, builds the hope of salvation. That's what community does and strengthens us for the battle in spiritual warfare. (coughs) Let's look at another sense of community, perhaps in a smaller sense. That's a gathered, perhaps a corporate sense. And back then it may have been, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, because they're only gathering in homes. Today we have the privilege to gather as maybe 70 or 80. Other churches could be hundreds. But that's not all communities. Other communities can be just in simply one-to-one, smaller communities. Look how Paul addresses these guys in these letters that he writes. First, Paul speaks about his brother Philemon in Philemon 4 and 7 and says this, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul's writing to a friend, Philemon. It's about an escaped slave of his. If you want to go and read that, it's probably one of the easiest books in the Bible to read. You can do it in a few minutes. Uh, Philemon is a Christian brother and, he, and Paul's saying, you bring comfort to the community. You bring comfort to the community. Albeit in a very small way, Paul's saying, hey, you have uh, refreshed the hearts of the saints. We can do that in one-to-one. We can be built up in the hope of salvation just in the simple smallness of in, even one-to-one communities of people. Here's another one of uh, Paul's as he writes in Colossians. To Tychicus, he says this, Tychicus, will you tell, will tell you about my activities. He's the beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This is what community does. 
even in the smaller settings of one to one or groups of three or four or five, God uses that to grow us in, in, uh, in hope. Tychicus comes to encourage their hearts. He's sent with a purpose. I'm sending him to you so he will encourage you. He strengthens them in the hope of salvation. The Spirit is working through Tychicus as a conduit of grace, as it were, in spiritual warfare to help build them up. This is still the early church struggling. God uses individuals and just small communities to do that. Through one-to-one or small groups in community, the Spirit is working to build the hope of salvation in our lives. Take hold of good friendships, good Christian friendships, meeting together and sharing life together, praying together and talking about the challenges we go through and then and allowing God to use that, small communities, to build our salvation hope in him for final salvation. So here's the point. Here's the point. Do you want to be strengthened in the hope of salvation? Are you struggling under the fear and doubt of Satan? Are you feeling like I'm in a spiritual attack? I'm feeling like I'm low. And I know myself over the last few weeks, that's happened to me a number of times, particularly in going through this series. I've sensed just sometimes that ramping up of Satan's activity in my life. So is that you? you? Do you want to be strengthened? Are you feeling like you're in that attack? You've got to be devoted to community. You've got to be part of a community. You've got to be committed to community both corporately and personally. You see, Satan is like those lions we see in Africa. You've probably all seen those documentaries. What does a lion do when it comes across a herd of wildebeest or something like that? Does it just sort of run right in the middle of the herd? Sometimes maybe, but often not. What the lion does it sort of waits and look at sort of corral one of the herd away from the community. If it can get one wildebeest out on its own somewhere, then Satan, then the lion, as it were, launches in and attacks that one out on its own, separated away from the community, all on its own, and brings that wildebeest down and does it in. They want to isolate away from the community. That's what Satan does with us. He tries to get us isolated, tries to get us to withdraw as a word away from the community. If he he can do that, if he can actually get us separated away from the community, it's then that he comes and he pours on the lies and the doubts and the fears to crush our hope in Jesus. He tells us you don't need community. You can do life on your own. Those people just let you down anyway. He just tries to separate us away from the community, get us away from the safety of the group, and then pounces upon us. Unfortunately, I've seen this happen in many people's lives over the years. I've seen faith and hope in Jesus just grow cold and shrivel up. And whenever you begin to investigate, when you see what's happened in somebody's life, to say, how do they get to this point now where they've just sort of turned their back on Christ, turned their back on all that they thought was right in their life? Now, as you investigate, and as I've done that, One of the things that I've always seen as an early sign is that these people have cut themselves off from community. They've cut themselves off from the community. They've gradually withdrawn away from the larger, maybe corporate Sunday gatherings. They first of all do that. And then they actually begin to withdraw themselves away from Christian friends as well. They just gradually wander away. They cut themselves off from community. 
And when that happens, as I've seen happen in many people's lives, they grow cold. Their faith diminishes. And their life slips away into godless living. And Satan has won that battle. You see, if you or I withdraw or cut ourselves off from the community that Jesus has provided, we actually cut ourselves off from his grace into our lives to commit ourselves for the battle. And when we do that, we're just like that wildebeest that gets separated away from the herd. We place ourselves in great danger as we allow ourselves to withdraw from the community. The community of believers is God's grace for us. It's his vehicle of growing us in faith and comfort and hope. You see, this is what happens when we're in community. You or I have the tough week. We all do from time to time. Circumstances do go against us. We've had some really difficult relationship tensions through the week. All I've done is try to help somebody and now they just turn their back on me. That could be a week. You feel gutted from that. You feel demoralised. Maybe you're even thinking, well, I'll just give up. It's, what's the point? That could be the week you might have. What's the use, you think? But we take hold of ourselves and we make a decision. Now, I'm committed to community. I'm devoted to fellowship. I'm going to commit myself to getting in community. So I do. I do that. I make the decision, I'm coming today or I'm going to midweek group I'm going to catch up with a Christian friend. And as I do that, as I turn up, I'm encouraged because I see others coming to the same community and I see them coming to worship Jesus. That begins to encourage me and build me up. Someone shares a testimony while I'm there. And that speaks into my heart right at that very moment, exactly what I needed to hear. And I got that from community. I get a chance to serve somebody at the church. I receive a blessing from that. I actually get to greet somebody here who's here for the first time as I come in community. All of those things contribute to strengthen my hope and build the big picture of eternal salvation. That's what community does. I feel blessed by that as I see Jesus working in other people's lives. The Spirit has perfectly fitted the truth for me that day that was exactly what I needed at that time. And I'm blessed by getting the chance to serve somebody. Overall, my hope in God has been strengthened by coming together in community. I may have come in feeling low and feeling down and feeling overwhelmed, but I leave feeling blessed. I leave feeling encouraged. I leave feeling strengthened. I leave feeling my hope has lifted. But if I didn't make that effort to be in community or get together with other people, what would have happened? Simply, I would have missed out. I would have missed out on God's grace being communicated to me at that time. I would have missed out on the the blessings that God had for me and my soul would have suffered for that. My hope of salvation would have perhaps diminished because I went past the opportunity of community. So we need to ask ourselves, all of us, are we thankful for the community that God has placed us in? Are we thankful for the community that God has placed us in? Do we see the value of God's community of believers and getting together? This is what he provides for us. Friend, if you are in the battle today and you want to have confidence to overcome it against Satan, then you need the helmet of salvation on. You need the helmet of salvation on. You know I need to have the hope of salvation firmly placed around us, building this unshakable hope within And if you or I want to see that salvation hope lives, 
that we've got to be in community. We've got to be in community. A community that reminds us of the hope of salvation and a community that will continually point us towards Jesus Christ to overcome Satan's attacks. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you today as we come and gather around you. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this truth, God. Today, we thank you that, uh, yes, uh, you equip us for the battle. You give us confidence. You give us hope. And you give us the helmet of salvation. The eternal perspective of eternal hope that our salvation is complete, full and made final in Jesus Christ. And we have that to look forward to in faith. And today, Lord, I pray that as we think about this eternal salvation and the hope that it brings. I pray, God, you'll help us also to see that we can grow and fuel that hope as we get together in community. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work that deep into our hearts, that there would be a a, a real firm and solid commitment to community. We would see it's the place where you, you, you communicate your grace into our lives and that we wouldn't just have that take it or leave it mentality. Lord, we would resist the enemy when he tries to tell us we don't need community. Yes. And that, God, you would build within us just great relationships within that community that would point us towards Jesus Christ and would grow our hope in the salvation that is effective for us. And, Lord, we know, we know, we know, we know through that that you will strengthen us to overcome those spiritual battles. Don't let Satan isolate us, Lord, I pray. Don't let us buy into that lie that we can do it on our own. Help us to see, God, that you've created us to be in community to grow this salvation hope. And Father, we pray that out of that you will grow us into strong disciples, committed to you, loving you, committed to our community, loving the community as well, and seeing Jesus made great there too. Father, today we, uh, we do ask that, we do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.